0: Covering ESG in mainstream media has historically been a hard sell, but in recent years, there's been more and more coverage about the economic, social, and governance impacts of climate change. Indeed, as climate disruption hits the economies in more ways, it is increasingly being covered as a business story, and the expectations of reporters is not only understanding, but also critically analyzing climate-related issues that impact businesses. I'm Anna-Marie Slott, Global Sustainability Partner for Ashurst. And in today's episode, I am speaking with Patrick Temple-West from the Financial Times. Patrick is based in New York and covers ESG in the Moral Money column of the Financial Times. Patrick writes on all aspects of ESG, including global energy. Patrick, welcome today, and thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, Anna Marie. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: I, I'm keen to d- dive in first into your career, and in particular, where your interest in ESG comes from.
1: Certainly. I uh, started my career in Washington, D.C. I was a reporter there for 11 years, Um, graduated in 2008, and I was really blessed to get that first job that I did um, just before the the worst of the uh, financial crisis hit. Um, I bounced around a bit, covering a a range of different beats from taxes, and then um, ultimately ended up covering the the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, the whole breadth of the agency's portfolio. Um, from accounting issues to enforcement to, to regulations that the agency had to write following the uh, massive Dodd-Frank Act uh, financial reform law. And it's there that uh, I got interested in ESG really from the G perspective I and mean, the agency's rules governing um, corporate governance, proxy advisors, shareholder petitions. That's where I got interested in it. and. Um, saw the opportunity that the Financial Times was launching the this Moral Money column to cover ESG specifically um, jumped at the opportunity to, to move up here to New York to, to do that full time. Uh, we've been uh, on that since 2019 and um, continue to really my, my focus continues to be the annual general meetings, the corporate governance. Uh, regulations and sort of battles between shareholders and companies as uh, we've transitioned now from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. It's been a remarkable shift um, in in seeing the the conversation, the tone around ESG change from something that is seen as uh, seen very skeptically, seen very Problematically by the, the Trump administration as something that is you know, maybe just a marketing gimmick, um, maybe is kind of overcharging investors to something that is real risk mitigation tool and um, a way to to help prevent the climate change problem. So, my background has has really been in the the regulations, the the guts of the Securities and Exchange Commission's proxy advisor corporate governance rules and. Um, and now have broadened that out to the E and the S and to sort of the emerging trends in renewable energy, hydrogen that uh, that we see it saw explode last year.
0: Interesting uh, journey there so far, Uh, lawyers and journalists together, it's got two of the best topics uh, there could be there. (laughs) Yes. You you do mention um, where, you know, ESG was marketing speak. And, and you kind of referenced that just now. Is that the time um, that you saw this conversation go from marketing speak to being taken more seriously from the media's point of view? Did it happen earlier? Maybe you could share with us. It, ESG,
1: I mean, going back maybe 10 years or so, ESG was so socially responsible investing, sustainable um, investing. I mean, it, what the, the terminology has has changed A little bit um and that that sri model i mean that's where it was seen um before that this that sustainable investing was done by a handful of people um it was a real niche uh uh market for people who just saw an opportunity to to align their investments with their their ethics and that was really where where sri was Um, maybe 10 years ago, I mean, even during the Obama administration, where sort of the the politics were more aligned with the ESG causes, it just wasn't discussed. And I think one of the big changes from going back to the media's coverage of this was the growth of ESG ETFs, which I think really started to take off in 2014, 2015. Once BlackRock came out with their ETFs, it became more mainstream. And as the fees came down, as it became more accepted, uh, aligned with that ETF product, which people were already comfortable with, as more of those ESG ETFs were coming online, State Street Vanguard, Fidelity, that's where um, it just became more widely accepted. On top of that, you also had the Trump administration come into office in 2016, which I think also prompted people to take a look at ways that they can do more with their money, do more with their retirement savings for human rights, for climate change, for for the good of the planet. Um, As the Trump administration was looking more skeptically at environmental regulations, Um, at some of the other ESG causes and also on the the governance side of things, going after the proxy advisors, um, making it harder for for investors to file shareholder petitions, Um, I think people took more of an interest in ESG as a way to, yeah, um, put their money where um, their values were. So those two totally separate Areas were aligning the the reduced costs um, in in investment products from mutual funds to ETFs and more of an interest more of a opportunity to align interests with investments. That's uh, I think where where um, the media started picking up on the ESG conversation more. I mean, you always had specialty um, journalism products that had been covering sustainable investing for decades. Um, and I know like Bloomberg, for example, had a, a very had a great reporter who was covering sustainable investing for, for a number of years. But um, it was really just in the past three or four years that places like the Financial Times, um, places like my former employer Politico were uh, taking a look at the ESG conversation and dedicating reporters to covering that specifically.
0: Interesting, and, and, and so really it sounds like, you know, the money starts moving towards ESG, the products start appearing into the market, um, there's an increased focus then, there's reporting coming from companies, there's shareholder interest. Um, is is, is how, how did you see then the media's response? You, know, you mentioned um, various media outlets adding to their ESG coverage. W- what do you think that's looked like over the sort of last five years?
1: Just an explosion of growth. Um, there were times where editors just would not be interested in these stories. Shareholder proposals, for example. Um, editors would say, these are non-binding proposals. Even if they do win a majority support, why are we covering this? This isn't. There's no motivation for boards to change anything. These shareholder proposals, I mean, even if they're somewhat popular with investors, uh, they never go anywhere. Um, that has totally changed in the past last couple of years. Now, in the on the front page of the Financial Times, you'll see shareholders revolt against HSBC or Total or whomever the company might be, but these shareholder petitions, the investor's voice on these ESG concerns is really moving companies and forcing them to act. And um, the media is now doing one-off stories on will a shareholder proposal um, proceed on, onto the ballot, will it survive uh, SEC scrutiny and, and move ahead for some of these companies? And that has dramatically changed. Before, like I said, it was editors were skeptical about why we were covering this and we wouldn't do stories. And then it becomes a um, self-fulfilling cycle where if you aren't doing stories about it, it doesn't really change the conversation. It doesn't really motivate boards to act. Um, yes, you had the NGO communities, you had these activists, human rights, climate, who were pushing for changes, but they weren't able to really have that snowball um, effect of getting stronger and stronger support for these things because the, the media attention wasn't there and now it is. And I think they've really been able to uh to capture that and, and shake up the board conversation on these issues.
0: Interesting. So so more and more people getting involved, more and more people paying attention as as you know, as in your role as a reporter covering sort of impact investment for the Financial Times, I think something we hear um, discussed a lot uh, and be interested in your view on is, is whether there's any kind of lack of clarity or disconnect between, you know, in particular, fund managers talking about ESG and the average end investor.
1: Yes, I think, and, and that's getting closer and closer all the time. Obviously, the fund managers will respond with products that they see demand for. Um, and uh, like I said, BlackRock, I think, was one of the first to have ESG ETFs, and as the fees came down, I I remember even the fees for that were a little too high compared to what you would get in a traditional fund, but now as the technology has gotten better, the the fees are almost comparable with the um, broader index funds that they offer. Um, I think that they will asset managers started marketing that investors really started to, to pick up and recognize that this is a risk mitigation tool. The ESG funds have performed better. I mean, the, the trade last year, for example, I mean, this was it's a bit of a one-off and it'll change this year, but if you were short oil and gas companies in 2020 and you were long technology companies in 2020, you did amazing. Um There was no pandemic for you. And those are the ESG ETFs. I mean, you take a look at the top holdings, it's all Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet. Um, and they're very underweight on oil and gas, if they include those companies at all. So if you avoided those, um, the down, downtrend in oil and gas companies and were long tech, uh, you did fantastic. So I think people are recognizing that that was really a, a smart play. And that's what those ESG ETFs were were holding last year. So. Um, the investors are recognizing that there is value here that has nothing to do with a morality ethics question. It's just a another tool to screen risk.
0: And I guess changing gears a little bit, not looking from the fund side or, or the manager side, but looking uh, in particular um, to, to the other side. Organizations, you know, that you speak to every day about ESG matters. Where where are the pinch points for them? You know, particularly you know lots of. Organizations coming out now with ESG commitments, sustainability yes. commitments. So, so w- where do you see that really hitting the road?
1: I mean, we were we've been looking at this just in the past couple of weeks for some of our more money stuff. Uh, I mean, the, the banks net zero commitments, for example, we saw Citigroup was one, Wells Fargo was another, um, rolling out these net zero commitments and it's this is nice it's obviously starting a conversation getting the banks and their employees to be thinking about this more seriously but where are the specifics um what have you actually agreed to do and and where is that yeah pinch point exactly i mean are you going to stop lending financing to fossil fuel companies or are you saying like you know we're going to or are you a bit more vague where you're saying well, we'll we're thinking about this now but we'll worry about it five ten years down the road. Um those are the type of things that that we're looking at. And you know, these banks are putting out these press releases and have holding calls with the media. Um, and they definitely see an opportunity to win that green halo, as, as we say, um, for, for doing these um sustainability commitments. But where are the specifics? And that that gets into the greenwashing concern and question that, that we're following. what are what are you really doing? What is what is the, the pinch point again um, for this for your commitments versus what are you doing to to just um, tout your um, your company and your brand? I think that's the question, and that's really where, where things are going on this front into 2021 here is where is the line of greenwashing now? And obviously, that's it, every eye of the holder on what that means. Um, the companies would argue, look, we are making massive changes. Um, we've never really had these conversations before. We're doing all this internal compliance training. Um, and then you would talk to the NGOs, the activist community, the environmentalists, human rights folks, and they would say, and not that much is changing. Um, they're definitely talking the talk, but where are the um, specifics for that? So, what, what we're looking for. Um, is is more specifics and and be honest and and be transparent um if there are uh areas where you think you know we we can't just drop all of our fossil fuel oil and gas financing tomorrow um you just be open and admit that and talk through a, a game plan if you have one about how to uh get away from that um where does it make business sense to um keep continuing fossil fuel financing? Where does it make sense to, to really transition to renewable energy financing um, and be able to to stand up to the scrutiny on that? I think that's, that's what companies need to be thinking a little bit more about is, uh, you know, everybody wants to be touting and promoting the good they're doing, but there's also, um, you know, more, more transparency, more um, uh, sincerity around I and mean, frank humility around what they can actually accomplish. And, and that would, I think, go a long way with the, the media is just how are they communicating that and where are they being sincere about what they can actually accomplish and what what's too hard. I mean, we understand this, these are businesses. They need to report to shareholders every quarter and um, you know it's, it's hard for them. There's going to be pushback, but uh, it's just being upfront about that and you know, recognizing what they can accomplish.
0: As you mentioned, like this whole area is kind of new for companies, right? And it's yes. it's new for banks, it's new for for everybody. I mean, g- green bonds in their in their corporate form, you know, really started expanding in twenty fourteen with the green bond principles being yes. put out, and you know the Equator principles, and and you know in the world of, of projects that goes obviously a lot earlier, but you know it is it is a new area for people, and and so I guess. From from the media perspective, what do you think is the media's role in in covering that? Is it to to draw out these this transparency? Is it to to you know su- su- support the transition? Is it is it some combination of that?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's the, the media's role is to be to be skeptical of everything. <laughs> <The> journalism <laughs> cliche is that that you know I've my professors hammered into me is like uh, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. you just have to get a go out there and be skeptical and and get a second source for these things and not not take what they're saying at face value and and like i said look we understand these are huge organizations with a lot of people's jobs and bonuses on the line and this is what they've done to to be successful for for decades um you know turning off lending for one specific area to do more Renewable energy, for example, it's a, it's a really hard transition. There's going to be pushback from internally. There's going to be people who say, "Why are we, why are we doing this?" Uh, I I totally understand all of that. Um, I think the media's role is to to question that and and really to question you know where companies are being duplicative. Du, du, duplicative. I mean, my colleagues, um, just when I was starting at the FT in, in 2019, just to give you one example, not to call out this company specifically, but uh, it's just one example that comes to mind. I mean, Vanguard had on its website, you know, our ESG funds, whatever it was, they're like fossil fuel free. And, you know, you just, a quick search of the holdings of these uh, funds shows that there were oil and gas companies in there. And, you know, we did a story, we asked Vanguard what's the deal with this, and they had to change the language on their website and say, we it, and they had to sell out of companies. I mean, it was a bit of a... um, problem for that. Um and uh it's just doing more things like that. I I, I mean I don't want to pick on Vanguard specifically because I'm sure there's there's other examples of those type of things. But was it wasn't just they were loose with their language on the website. Somebody didn't didn't check in terms of the marketing on the website versus what was in the funds. Um but uh it's those type of like Questionable greenwashing practices that uh, that we're watching out for. Green bonds is another area where, you know, how are they? How far can you stretch? What is green, and still get a green bond out of it? And the the you know, incredible um, interest rate savings that you can get on some of these green bond deals. You know, is it is it okay if a a shipping tanker company says, okay, we're going to issue green bonds and put solar panels on our um, tankers to to run the motors, sort of the electricity on the ship. But you're still hauling oil all around the world. Your your tanker business, it's hauling oil around from port to port, this is what you do. Um, Can they issue green bonds? Is it okay if they issue green bonds? Should they be doing more of sort of like a brown to green bond type of product? Those are the type of nitty-gritty areas that we want to be covering. Um, What are the... Climate bond initiatives. Who are these groups that are sort of the arbiters, checking this out, raising concerns, raising questions about what is green, what is brown, what is on that scale, transitioning from brown to green? Um, I think that's that's the media's role, and um, you know, also just keeping track of the the huge um, regulatory apparatus that is coming online with this space and. And Marie, you and your colleagues have been fantastic on, on keeping an eye on uh keeping us in the even in the media up to speed on sort of the regulatory process out of the EU. I mean the, the rulemaking um out of Brussels is is I think multiply more complex than it is out of the US here. Um I mean, my background just happens to be covering the US regulatory process, so I know it a little bit better, but you are know, just keeping people appraised, what's coming, what's on the agenda, where what stages of these rulemakings are. Um is uh, immensely helpful to our readers and uh, something that we need to be keeping an eye on, especially here in the U.S. as the conversation has flipped from ESG skepticism to ESG accelerating ahead.
0: So so in that vein, I, I think, and also so going back to one of your earlier comments about BlackRock's ETFs in particular, um, you know, as an ETF that has to track uh, some kind of index. Are, are there any kind of particular types of governance stories that you're, you're, you're focused on? It doesn't get talked about very much in es but but the critical component of the overall, you know, sustainability impact.
1: Oh, it's huge. I, I mean, the governance conversation just in the US is, is going to be a top talker um, for 2021. I mean, the, the Trump administration, like I said, the, the Trump administration went after the, the proxy advisors um, trying to diminish their influence in the asset management ecosystem, um, Biden folks will flip that right back, um, and and take the heat off the, the proxy advisors, which have, uh, considerable influence on ESG votes, uh, you know, if they recommend for various political spending shareholder proposal, um, there's a good chance that that will will get a a lot more support than it would if if the proxy advisor voted against it. Um, We are seeing now out of the US more um, shareholder investor friendly uh, proposals that they have lumped in with the ESG conversation. I mean, just, uh, what was it? Earlier this week, gosh, um, the acting head of the SEC said, um, universal proxy ballots is now part of the ESG conversation. This is instead of, requiring investors to vote on uh, a single slate of directors, they can pick and choose. So if you like two, that management voted, and three, that um, an activist might have proposed, you can divvy up your votes instead of voting um, entirely for an activist or entirely for uh, management. Proposal, those rules had um, been floated in 2016, but lay dormant through the Trump administration and are now being revived. Um, the SEC is also looking at the shareholder proposal process. Are there areas that they can tweak, rewrite the rules to make it easier for um, competent investors that have a legitimate claim to get a proposal up for vote at a company? Um, Are there ways to make it an easier process for them? Um, Should they make it an easier process for them? Those are the type of conversations that um, on the governance front, the SEC is really going to be wrestling with um, this year and into 2022. Um, Also this year, just coming out of the pandemic, executive compensation is one that we're watching on the governance side. Um, we saw a number of companies last year lower the goalposts during the pandemic to make it easier for executives to, to earn their bonuses. Um, some were doing it legitimate uh, and sort of an isolated attempt, and then others were doing it for sort of this longer term executive pay packages that uh, will make it easier for them to earn bonuses five years from now? Um, where are investors gonna draw the line on that? Where are they going to say like, okay, you know, look, you are in um, your restaurant business, you're an airline, you are a hotel company. Obviously you were hammered you last year. Okay, we understand that you need to compensate your high performers. Um, we understand that we need to rewrite the pay package to, to compensate for that. But does it make sense to do that for a long-term compensation plan that might have might not invest for another five years, um, where you have another four years to, to make up for sluggish performance in 2020? In um, where investor's gonna draw the lines on that? We saw a vote at Starbucks, where um, it really caught I me mean, by surprise, at least, that the investors kind of turned down the executive's compensation plan um, at that company. And is that, is that just a one-off? Um, was, was there just something unique to Starbucks specifically? I mean, I haven't looked at, it, at how the pay was structured, but, um, or is that a sign of a trend that investors are gonna be a lot more skeptical of say saying pay plans, saying pay votes um, this year? So I think the the compensation question coming out of the pandemic is gonna be crucial to the governance conversation this year.
0: So interesting. So, sounds like governance is near and dear to your heart, um, and that—that that I can understand coming out of uh, anyone who covers the SEC for that long. Um, w- w- are there any other kinds of stories that you would you 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 want to be covering from an ESG perspective?
1: I think that the greenwashing question is, is something that not just the media but the ESG community is going to have to, to wrestle with. Where is that line? And it, and like I said before, it's going to be different for for different people. Can you be an oil and gas company? Can you be sort of a more, more polluting company and issue green bonds? Can you issue sustainability-linked bonds? Um, who, who are going to be the arbiters of that and really draw the line and say, like, no, this is we need to keep the green bond community pure for those companies that are legitimately issuing green bonds. Because if we have all these sort of like green tinged bonds out there in the market, um, then people are gonna throw up their hands and and say, well, companies should have just been issuing conventional bonds. Why are they doing this? We don't understand the product. We don't like the product anymore. Um, We're gonna move on to something else. Um, How do we, what's the ESG 2.0 concern that um, the industry is really going to have to wrestle with It's something that that we're going to be following and and just um, the regulatory space, I mean, here in the US, it's all all SEC all the time. I mean, they have really tried to make up for for lost time uh, over the last four years in the ESG conversation. um, They must understand that this is a political issue um, that that resonates with with voters, that definitely resonates with the asset managers as, as they are rolling out. Um, new ESG products, how can the the regulatory space make it more accommodative for for those um, products? Uh, Just yeah, watching the the SEC and sort of the ongoing action out of Brussels, out of the UK on on their regulatory apparatus as well. covering the, the stock exchanges that that NASDAQ proposal on board diversity was a big story for us that that is going to continue I and mean, the NASDAQ really went out ahead there. Um, we, we'd are already been watching what was coming out of the Hong Kong stock exchange on their ESG proposals, some of the really tough rules that that they implemented there, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much of that actually sticks. Obviously, Hong Kong is going through a difficult transition right now. Um, will they continue to to really hold some of those um, dual listed Chinese companies, um, hold them to ESG, high ESG standards. Um, it's a story that, that we'll be watching um, for the rest of the year as well. So it's uh, um, definitely an interesting transition period as we have seen the success of ESG, ESG products, the awareness to the value of these, and the, the increasing inexpensive quality of these ESG products, how will that continue um, into this next uh, chapter for ESG um, or will ESG just become everything for everybody and it just sort of loses its value, it loses its meaning. It doesn't really have, could bring to the table that risk mitigation component that we've seen strengthen ESG. Up until this point, um, so I just think that's uh, that's something that, that we're going to be interested in, in following.
0: Yeah, interesting point. I mean, I think that that goes to you know what, what people uh, you know frequently go back to is this kind of a flash in the pan and, and something that people move off of. Uh, you know, you, you, as you know that if you take the step back and look at the fundamentals behind why it's happening, maybe maybe it doesn't go away because the, there is a, a critical uh business and and global imperative here yeah. um that, that that really does need to be addressed i well, guess if i may can i uh, yep.
1: ask you that same question what are you going to be following Anna marie i mean what are you hearing from from clients on on these things uh you know where where you see the esg conversation going over the next few months
0: it is accelerating that conversation is accelerating at a pace that I think if you had asked anybody who had any nexus with this five years ago, they would never think that it was moving as fast as it is now. Yeah. Um, I think the key things that we're going to be working with clients around are, you know, w- w- what we always help, you know, assess your risk, be very clear in what you're saying to people yes. and backing it up. Right. So so yes. that, that's something that we, we've, we've always worked with our clients around and, and especially in this, area right this area which is so new and so so much language is being used that no that has no universal definition yeah right so so what when you say net zero do you mean by net zero are you talking ghg are you talking carbon are you talking like what do you mean by net are you talking avoided emissions so so what what is what is it that you are saying what is it that you mean by what you are saying and then how are you delivering what you are saying. And I think those all three aspects of of that are areas that all of our clients are looking at um, in everything they do, kind of from financings to MA to, right. you know, across, to, to to their employment contracts with their senior managers. Right. right. Um, yeah. So it's I, I think we're going to see. And then, of course, for us, it, it, that also leads into to to the whole disputes Field and and risk field for for all of our clients, which which goes back to the first point, right? You need to be clear. You need to be transparent.
1: Exactly, and I think, yeah, some some companies are going to make mistakes, either intentional or more likely unintentional mistakes on on what they're saying and um, you know, what what did they put in a sustainability report that was sort of a, a throwaway sentence or, or paragraph that um, could come back to. To bite them if it if it says somewhere else in another disclosure you know, they're doing the exact opposite. I mean I, I can't think of a specific example of that, but you know, where, where are they getting loose or or with the language that might come back to, to bite them? Because you know, not just the media, but the regulators are are looking out for this. I mean some of the statements out of the SECs, like those sustainability reports, are becoming more and more material for yeah. for companies, um, and you, know, you can't just put the kitchen sink in those sustainability reports as we've seen over the last few years. Now you have to be a little bit more rigorous and um, backing up what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally right. And I think also, I mean, the the, the added uh, challenge here is that the tech around this is also just moving at light speed. So yeah. it, it's possible that somebody says something today that in light of today's knowledge and today's understanding all really made sense, but they're gonna be judged you know, three years from now on a look back, and then you have to be really clear about why you said what you said, right? And, and, and you're right, you have to be very clear about what you're saying in one place and what you're saying in another place. And we already see that. And and from the regulatory perspective, I mean, 10 years ago, there were probably around 600, you know, sort of ESG rules and regulations globally. Yeah. That's 2100 now, right in 10 years, and that, yes. and that, I mean, the EU, as you mentioned, the EU is on the front of this. The US obviously takes a much different approach in terms of how it regulates overall, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come out with with guidance around what it, you know, what, where it goes. And the SEC will will always consider um, what the disclosures are that are out there and whether or not investors are being adequately informed, right? So, so that yes. that that I don't see the regulus. St- the regulation side is not going to be turning around anytime soon.
1: Yep. That's uh, that's what we're seeing out of Washington
0: for now. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess final question out now that we've talked about this kind of greenwashing and, and, and what companies can do, you've heard what I, what I think companies should be doing. Um, What do you think the, from a journalist perspective, what what can companies do to ensure that their, their ESG message is, is getting clearer uh, through that lens of media?
1: everybody likes to think that, you know, that what they're doing they're the best at what they do i mean sports teams don't like to admit their weaknesses and companies are the same way um you know if you can't get to the you know, all the way across the goal line and you're you know, if you're making commitments and you don't think you can back them up i mean just be a little bit more humble and a little bit more transparent about that um you know, talk, talk to us talk us through that i mean we'll ask skeptical questions is the same way that the investor community will. Um, but if you have a story that is, sounds legitimate and, and is authentic, um, it would, we, we understand that this is a new space, this is a new conversation. Um, everybody is trying to figure out how this works for their particular business. Um, I think, yeah, just being more transparent, uh, making sure that your uh, language on, on this is is, Tightened up and isn't uh, kind of trending more toward uh, cheerleading for the company that that might get into the greenwashing space. I mean, I think the media is more attuned to this, and you know, we're we're going to be talking to the NGO, the activist community, if they spot something and um, you know, it, it's on the line and in terms of greenwashing. We might do a story about it. So there's that reputational risk there as well. Um, you know, you want to be uh, in compliance. You want to be um messaging the right things and and don't over don't exaggerate don't over promise what what you can and like i said it will be more receptive to that more understanding of that than if you come out and say we're going to be making all these promises going to be doing all these great things without the specifics and without really the follow-through so that's what i think can get companies in trouble not just with the critical stories in the media but also um questions from the regulators.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. So so it sounds like have a plan, know what your plan is, know what you're saying when you talk about your plan and engage. Well, well thanks a lot, Patrick. This I think it's been a great session. Um, I hope uh, our listeners um, also agree.
1: Anna-Marie, thank you to you too. I mean, you've been incredibly helpful, I guess, that, uh, on some of these regulations out of Brussels where it's just like, you know, we're sitting here and thinking what's the significance of this? And uh, you've been really on the spot about providing some quote some context around this is why this this matters. This is what's going on here. Um, you know, it's just to have that snap analysis is, is really valuable. So uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing on this front as well.
0: Oh, our pleasure. Thanks for listening to this special edition podcast. We hope you found it worthwhile. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. If you'd like to keep track of ESG's evolution in business, keep an eye out for Moral Money column in the Financial Times. This special edition episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.